As we stand, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning that we have to gather together around your word and at your table. Father, help us to see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. This morning, we find ourselves in the middle of our sermon series on the book of 1 John. And we find ourselves in the middle of the book itself, right in the middle of chapter 3. And right in the center of our text this morning, which spans from verses 11 to 24, our attention is drawn to the focal point of our faith, the center of it all, the foundation the ground upon which everything that John has been calling us to, obedience, love, life, is built upon. Our attention this morning is drawn to the center, the cross of Jesus Christ. John says, do you want to know what love is? Do you want to know what love looks like? Then look at the cross. Look at Jesus on the cross. This is the center of it all. This is how we know love. And you can try to make sense of how to love apart from the cross around another center, but any other center is really no center at all. It's just a vacuum. There's no there there. There is no other foundation for love but the cross. In John's gospel, Earlier in the New Testament, we have John's famous 3.16 that many of us can quote by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And here this morning in John's first letter, we have his other 3.16. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. You want to know how to love? Look at the cross. See what love is. Do you want a focal point, a center, a foundation for the driving force of your life? For the driving force of a church, look at the cross. Right here in the middle of our series, of this book, of this church, and of our lives. It all rises or falls on this. So we're going to take some time this morning to consider some of the implications of the cross, God's love on display, because it's so central. And we'll start here because it's the key for understanding our text this morning and because it's the foundation for everything John is calling us to embrace as Christians. You may have heard of the famous football coach from the 1960s, Vince Lombardi, He was the coach of the Green Bay Packers. And he has this famous quote that I love, that every year at training camp, he would gather his players back together, professional football players who had reached the pinnacle of American football, the NFL, and he'd start off his training camp by saying, gentlemen, this is a football. Or as the Apostle John writes this morning in verse 11, This is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. 
If you have your Bibles open, skip with me now to verse 16. We'll come back to verse 12 in a few minutes, but first let's look at Jesus. Let's look at love on display on the cross. And let's consider briefly four impacts of the cross. Because in a way, this helps us look at the front of the box of the jigsaw puzzle. When we take a step back and just consider again the love for us displayed on the cross before we look at the individual pieces. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And here's the first impact of the cross. It's God's love extended to us. Jesus' death on the cross is the greatest revelation of love that the world has ever known. It's the greatest revelation of love the world will ever know. That God would send his son to die for sinners, to reconcile us to God, all by virtue of his grace and not by our merit. That Jesus would live the perfect life we couldn't live, then suffer the mockery and punishment and death that we deserved, that he would make us alive in Christ, that he would call us sons and daughters and heirs. God's love is extended to us on the cross. And the Apostle John reminds us, just in the way he words verse 16, that Jesus laid down his life for us willingly and genuinely. The verb that John uses here for laid down also appears elsewhere in John's gospel. If you look back at the gospel according to John, chapter 13, verse 4, John writes that Jesus rises up from supper and lays aside his outer garment. He lays it aside. So here in his letter, John says that this is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. He's saying to us that the same love that drove Jesus to his knees to wash his disciples' feet is the same love that drives Jesus to the cross to wash away our sins. God's love is extended to us on the cross. This is real love. Jesus is a real man who dies a real death because he really loves you. God's love is extended to you on the cross. The second impact of the cross, then, as we look at the great picture of love, is that God's love flows through us. Let's read verse 16 again and go on to verses 17 and 18. It's interesting because after verse 16, where he points us to the cross, he immediately applies it. Verse 16, by this we know love that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. And now here's the application immediately. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, there's that term of affection again that John loves. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So if it's God's love that's extended to us on the cross, then it's God's love that flows through us. First John is not a call to self-originating love. This love doesn't originate in us. It originates in God. 
First John is a call to abide in the love of God as shown to us principally on the cross and let that love abide in us and let that love flow through us and flow out of us. Usually when things get clogged, things get unhealthy. I have seen a recent example of this in the joys of homeownership when my condensation drain line in my air conditioning unit in my attic got clogged three times. It's usually not a good thing when things get clogged, especially not in our body and especially not in the body of Christ who have received God's love that was extended to us on the cross. Then that love flows through us. It's not our love. It's God's love. And the Apostle John is saying, in other words, dear children, don't get clogged up. Receive God's love and let it flow through you. Here's one way of thinking about this. Giving away God's love is not like giving away cookies. If I bake you cookies, well, let me change that. You probably don't want cookies that I would bake for you. If Catherine bakes you cookies... Catherine buys the ingredients. Catherine bakes the cookies. They're Catherine's cookies to give away to whoever she wants to give away her cookies to. And they're Catherine's cookies to not give away to whoever she doesn't want to give them to. Giving away God's love is not like giving away our cookies because it's not our love. It's God's love demonstrated to us on the cross. We give it away. We let it flow through us. John is saying, don't get clogged up, body of Christ. John helps us also see another impact of the cross here in these next few verses, which is that God's love assures us. It's interesting that after John applies this love outwardly to those around us, God's love flowing through us, he immediately turns to a different subject of assurance, how the presence of God's love in us assures us when our own hearts want to condemn us. This past week, I watched a sermon that Alistair Begg preached years ago. He's a pastor from Ohio, and it was called The Personal Life of the Preacher. And he began with this insight into his own heart. He said this, in 33 years of pastoral ministry, no one has ever given me more trouble than me. (laughs) Maybe you can relate. Our own hearts are complicated things, aren't they? And so John wants us to know that the love of God is not only given to us for those around us, but it is given to us for us as well. Look with me now at verses 19 through 22. John writes, By this we shall know we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. In his commentary on this book of 1 John, John Stott describes these verses that we just read, especially verse 20, as painting the picture of what he calls a kind of trial with our heart as the accuser, ourselves as the defendant, and God as the judge. 
And this scene that Paul describes, this trial, plays itself out in a million different hearts, in a million different ways, a million times a day. And the good news of the cross is that while our hearts can and often do condemn us, they cannot pronounce sentence. Because for those of us who are in Christ, our sentence of guilt was placed upon Jesus once and for all. And so as we sing, our death was crushed to death. So now life is ours to live and it's all been won through Jesus' selfless love. This is the power of the cross. That God's love reassures us when our own hearts want to condemn us. The fourth impact of the cross is that God's love abides in us. John reminds us of that often in his letter, and he reminds us again this morning. God's love abides in us. He returns to this theme, not because he's just repeating himself, but because he really wants us to get it. Look with me at verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Now, note, it's interesting there that John says this is his commandment. Singular. It's one commandment that we believe in the name and love one another. He doesn't say here, these are his commandments. Commandment one, believe. Commandment two, love. He's saying it's the same commandment. You believe, you love. If there is belief, there is love. If there is no love, there's no belief. Believe and love. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know, we know that he abides in us. How? By the Spirit whom he has given us. How do we go on loving us impatient people? Us people who sometimes wake up on the wrong side of the bed? How do we go on loving? It's not a work of the flesh at all. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember, 1 John is not a call to self-originating love. Our love, our cookies. This is God's love flowing through us. And John reminds us, it's a gift of the Spirit whom God has given us. One of the things I love about this church is that we are what's called a three streams church church. We are evangelical. We love the Word of God, the living Word of God. We are liturgical. We love and value the ancient and biblical liturgies of our tradition. And we're charismatic. We love and we value and we embrace and we expect the ongoing ministry and gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. And what does the Holy Spirit love to do? Paul tells us in Romans 5, 5, he pours God's love into our hearts. We need the Holy Spirit. And oh, that God would continue to make us truly a three streams church. That when you want to know how charismatic Turo is, you know it by how loving Turo is. First and foremost, we need the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit giving us the ongoing filling of God's love so that we can show ongoing love. These are the four impacts of the cross that John draws our attention to. 
from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. God's love is extended to us. God's love flows through us. God's love assures us when our own hearts want to condemn us. And God's love abides in us to help us display ongoing love, not thanks to our flesh, but thanks to the ongoing ministry, ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. All of this, all of this is bought for us and lavished upon us upon the cross. It's a love we can't take any credit for, and it's a love that brings glory to Jesus because it displays Jesus to the world. John does not call us to love one another just so that we can all get along, so that our Thanksgiving dinners or our Sunday morning coffee hours are more pleasant. This is not some kind of cross-inspired behavior modification that John is writing about in this letter. This call to love, as Jesus loved us, is so that Jesus would be proclaimed through our togetherness, not concealed by our bitterness. It's so that Jesus would be exalted by our loving kindness, not overshadowed by our pettiness. So that when people look at us, as Mary reminded us last week, they would say, you look like Christ. Because the other option, John tells us, is that they look at us and they say, you look like Cain. Look with me at verse 12. What John does here is he points us back to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 gives us the account of the first murder ever recorded in human history, the first sin recorded after the fall of Adam. And it's this brutal murder that the Apostle John points us to as the very antithesis of the way of Christ. And more than that, John uses Cain's murder of Abel to explain a pattern that continues perpetually outside of Christ. And this makes sense when you think about the fact that Jesus came and instituted what's called the New Covenant. Paul describes Jesus as a second Adam. And unlike the first Adam, Jesus never sins. Jesus resists the temptation, and Jesus crushes the serpent's head. And so all who are in Christ are under the new covenant, and they're under Jesus, the second Adam, who did what we could have never done. And in Christ, we learn to live in a new way. And we can live like Christ in Christ. Or, John says, we can be like Cain. So verse 12, John goes there. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. This gives us an opportunity as the church to think very clearly about who hatred resembles. It resembles Cain, who himself was, quote, of the evil one. And John says very clearly, church, have nothing to do with the way of Cain. Now, our English translations in verse 12 say that Cain murdered Abel. But the original word is actually much worse than that. It means that Cain butchered Abel. 
And it's even worse than that. We need to grapple with this because the other places that that word butcher appears in Genesis is in religious settings. It's a religious butchering. He religiously butchered Abel. And when this spirit of Cain is present amongst God's people, it is profoundly and demonically destructive. And God in his mercy by his spirit, who verse 20 tells us is greater than our hearts and knows everything, will mercifully search our hearts and show us where we are behaving like Cain. He will apply the power of the cross to our hearts to help us be more like Christ. And remember, this is not so that condemnation is pronounced over us, but so that the spirit of Christ becomes more pronounced within us. You can look like Christ or you can look like Cain. And John says in verse 14, we have left that kind of death behind. Many of you know that I grew up a preacher's kid in Florida. And my dad pastored various Episcopal churches before we came up here. Growing up as a preacher's kid in a ministry family is hard for many reasons. I give thanks for being born into the church. I really do. I really do. But you get to see a lot of things up close when you're a kid. I got to see the beauty and kindness of people, for sure, most people. But you get to see some ugliness, too. And one memory I have as a preacher's kid is going out with my dad to a TCBY frozen yogurt place on 23rd Street in Panama City, Florida. And my dad and I are sitting there at a table, and a member of the congregation walks in. We'll call him Sam Campbell. It's not his real name. He walks in. It was a small town, and somehow he had tracked my dad to this TCBY. How he did, I will never know. But he walks over to our table, and he hands my dad a shoebox full of signed letters of petition from people in our congregation. And the two things they wanted my dad to do was fire the youth pastor, because get this, you won't believe this, he wasn't an Episcopalian. <laughs> and they wanted him to fire me because I was 14 years old leading worship in one of the services. Now, my dad didn't fire the youth pastor and he didn't fire me. <laughs> but I remember how awful that was, how hurtful. Now, fast forward, like 20 years later, I'm on a sabbatical in Central Florida and I'm sitting by a lake one day, and all of a sudden, the Lord begins to bring faces into my awareness of people from my life up to that point who I had not forgiven. And there sitting at the lake is the face of Sam Campbell in the TCBY. I must have sat there for an hour as God brought people to my mind who I was continuing to butcher, who I was continuing to religiously butcher in my heart. How about you? Because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak 
in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, get this, I am nothing. Brothers and sisters, Truro, we are nothing without love. But because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the love of God is extended to us. The love of God flows through us. The love of God assures us. And the love of God abides in us. And we have the Spirit of God at work in us, helping us be more like Christ and helping us to proclaim Christ and searching our hearts for the ways in which we resemble Cain. This is the message that we have heard from the beginning. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus has done and demonstrated and enabled through the cross, the gospel works itself into our bodies and it works itself into the body of Christ This is the power of the cross. We're forgiven, so we forgive. We're loved, so we're loved. We're loved, so we love. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. So how can we withhold it? John says, you want to know what love looks like? Look at the cross. You want to know what love is? Look at the cross. This is how we know. And this is how we crucify Cain. And this is how we glorify Christ. Let's pray together. Well, Father, first of all, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you have shown to us on the cross, that we would be called sons and daughters of God. And so we are. And Lord, we ask for your help that you would once again pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, upon this congregation, that we would walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And that you would search out that spirit of Cain. You would crucify it. That Christ would be exalted above all. In his name we pray. Amen.